going to start with that, isn't yes. it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got it listed, yeah. So, heart opening. So, we wanted to base, uh, sort of base this day around the, the Buddha's teaching on loving kindness. There's a, this, the chant that probably many of you are familiar with, the Buddha's words on loving kindness. It is uh, from the scriptures, it is uh, the Buddha's words. And we each have a copy here in English. We have English and on the other side there is Pali. So originally it would have been you know, passed down in the Pali language. So at the very end of the day we'll chant it in Pali and then the sisters will chant and anyone who wants to join in can join in if you can or just listen if you'd like to listen. But we'd like to start with together chanting the Buddha's words on loving kindness. And if anybody needs reading glasses, I notice that there's a big box of reading glasses in the, <laughs> in the office back there, so you can just go and ask one of the volunteers. <coughs> so we'll chant it together and then have some time of meditation and, and reflection through the day on this theme. And it's quite a... There's a lot in it. I was reading through it. I thought even just the first few lines you could do a whole day long on. So we won't, you know, we'll do what we can and, you know, connect like both from the teaching and also connecting with our own hearts and our own practice. Now let us chant the Buddha's words on loving kindness. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, Contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing, that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. 
even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, free from hatred and ill-will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding, by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. the recording on. This is on, is it? So heart opening. You know, it's something that we that we want. You know, we want to be able to live with an open heart. And yet it's a vulnerable state. So when we open our heart, we experience the joy and the love and the excitement and the connection. And we also experience the pain and the grief and the separation, which is part of being human. So heart opening, it's a, it's a, a beautiful and also somehow courageous experience because in opening our heart we meet life as it is and uh, sometimes with the the theme of metta or loving kindness it can get this um, reputation for being sort of pink and fluffy you know <laughs> this nice pink fluffy something that we put over life to make it feel nice it's like sweeten it up but metta really it's it's friendliness it's a friendliness, but it's also like an unconditional, unconditional love. So when we chant this chant, it's pointing to all beings, not just like the good people, the nice people, the people who are ethical, the, or even just human beings. It's, it's pointing to all beings, those who are ethical, those who are noble, those who are confused, those who are um, um, violent, those who are destructive those who are powerful, those who are weak, people of all shapes, sizes, colors, types, classes. And it also goes out not just to human beings, but to animals, plants, those we can see, those we can't see, invisible beings, you could say, perhaps. And, and also to this whole planet Earth. So the 
the quality of metta is to be radiated in all directions, above and below and around, everywhere. Just as the sun shines on all things, it's not, it's not shining on the nice bits and not on the, the other bits, it's like it's equal for everyone. And, uh, and so, you know, we start the, the practice of metta in a way that we can manage it. So we start by, a good way to start is by bringing to mind somebody or something that really touches and opens our heart, that's sweet. Sometimes it's just something like a, a, um, a puppy or a little child laughing, you know, something that's like touching and sweet and it just makes us smile, makes the heart open. So we can start with something like something easy that's, uh, that's accessible and, and, and opens us up. But as we, and then, uh, as we develop that, you know, as we let our heart open, just like a flower opens in the sun, you know, we let our heart open and enjoy that and feel the, the beauty and the enjoyment of, of loving, of, of being open. And then we can start to open it to what's more difficult, more challenging, and what we, and also opening to what we don't really care about that much, that we don't notice. So it's learning to open the heart to all conditions. And there's a situation that's very much on my mind, and maybe on other people's minds here too, that I'd like to bring in. I know it's sort of first thing in the morning, but I just feel like it's important to bring it in is the, the um, shooting that happened on Wednesday night in, in Charleston of uh, a one very confused young man, crazy young man, going to a Bible study class and shooting nine people because of some crazy thoughts in his mind. and. Uh, a white man shooting African American people, and uh, out of you know deep, deep confusion, and the response of the families has been very moving. I've been following it a little bit. Um, you know, the responses. I'm sure there's, a, there's an enormous amount of mixed feelings there. It's not all you know noble, but the response that's coming is hatred doesn't. You know, to to add hatred to this isn't going to help anything, and. Uh, and to forgive that that boy, that young man who who was crazy enough to do what he did, and it's very moving to see that this is uh, like nobility. This is uh, the heart that is willing to open to the unbearable, because it is, you know, it is unbearable to for the for those people and their families, and also for the history within this country of uh, you know, racism and exploitation and privilege and all of that. That's all part of what we are. We are all part of that, whether we know it or not. We're all part of that dynamic. And uh, so the response of these people, the families of the people who were killed, is, is, is a, it's an enormous response of unconditional love. It's, it's a huge step to go from somebody's killed my mother to hatred isn't going to go anywhere and may I forgive them and may they be well you know it's, it's, it's an enormous and noble response so you know these things happen life is not pink and sweet and fluffy there may be occasional moments most of them happened when we were little kids maybe and with a lot of hard work from the grown-ups to make it look like that 
that uh, generally life is, is a challenging, you know, it's mixed. And we have the, the loving moments and the, the sweet, intimate moments and the, and the sense of safety. And then we have the times that are hard going or the, the long times of nothing much, you know, a bit, well, how's life going? Well, it's kind of all right, you know, not much this, not much that. And, uh, you know, there are, f there is uh, ignorance in the world, you know, in each of our minds and hearts. None of us, I don't think, um, unless I'm not sure, but probably none of us are completely free from ignorance. And, uh, you know, that ignorance, it creates a, a certain sort of darkness. It is like a, it is like a veil that separates our consciousness from its, from its true nature, its nature of brightness and uh, oneness. So, you know, some minds are more obscured than others and, and everybody who's here already has enough clarity to have um, an interest in, a, in spiritual awakening or spiritual development or even in, uh, in opening the heart, you know, even if not interested in Buddhism or don't know much about meditation yet, it's still there's, a, there's an interest in, oh, opening the heart, that's heart opening, that sounds good. So that's the light of, of wisdom and, and truth that, that brings you here. And uh, we all have both, every human being has both that light and the, the obscurations or the darkness of ignorance. And so we have to really work hard to develop that light, to, uh, to keep opening the heart and to keep meeting those edges where we feel this you know i can't i can't open to this this is wrong this is i can't and then just maybe ask a question like well what is the highest response or what would a a noble being do in this situation and rather than staying within our um our perceived limitations we we take a step past them into something bigger. So it takes, uh, it takes some work to do this and it takes some faith also to do this and also community like Sangha is very, very helpful in this. So when, we're, when we feel we're on our own, can get a little bit lost. So to, to come together, to practice together is very, very important. And uh, you know, maybe you have people nearby, near near you that you can come together with and share the practice. This this strengthens our practice. So uh, to keep trusting that working with uh, opening the heart, it has a transformative effect it, on our own, on our own lives and on the lives of others. So I had a, an experience a number of years ago with a in a very difficult relationship, a, a close relationship that was very, very difficult. Impossible, really, actually. <laughs> and I uh, sort of got to the point of realizing, no, this is just impossible, it's not going anywhere, and uh, maybe it's time to just call it a day. And that was not easy to do, because it, sort of, it wasn't a connection that was easy to drop, but... Uh, you know, rather than just kind of cutting off and, and staying with a sense of alienation or resentment, I decided to practice metta, do a, a metta practice, and also a sharing of merit, sharing the, the blessings of my practice with this person, so that we could be, so that we could go our separate ways, 
not be stuck in this negative force field, you know. And uh, over time, that practice, it transformed something in my own heart. It allowed me to let go of the wish for it to be different. And it allowed the other person to be who they were, how they were, without me always wanting them to be different. So through that practice of metta, this uh, impossible relationship had turned into a healing relationship. And uh, still is a good, re- you know, it's now it's, uh, it's kind of good and very free, actually. A very free connection, not entangled. So in, when we practice metta, we're not just uh, get generating a nice feeling in our heart in, the, in a meditation, but we're transforming our own experience of the world in that moment. And we can also, in doing that, help free other people from the ways that we keep them stuck through recreating them again and again in our minds and in our hearts. And sometimes it's easier than others, you know, it depends on the connection. But I would say, you know, it can, it can always be done. So you look at some of the great beings like the Dalai Lama, for example, who, despite the most incredible challenges, will, will keep generating metta for all beings. Not, you know, all beings except the ones who are persecuting Tibet, you know. It's like for all beings. Because you see the potential of all beings. We all have the same potential, and then we get lost in these, uh, in the story of materialism and and separate self and material gain and success. All of that, we get lost in those stories of the ego, and we miss the the potential of what we are. So the the great beings, they they're looking at that all the time, and so when they see the the madness that so many people are adding to in the world. They see it with a heart of compassion, <coughs> with a heart of compassion, and with a wish that may those beings wake up, may all beings wake up, you know, including those who are, who are deeply entrenched in the delusion. So since we all have a bit of delusion, varying degrees, and and for all of us, you know, th- those deluded parts of ourselves, those those obscurations of mind, create problems. They create problems for ourselves, and they create problems for the people who are close to us, and uh, possibly also to the environment. If we're if we're very unaware of of how we use things, you know, what we're doing, what we're throwing away, what happens to that later. If we're unaware, if we're ignoring, then uh, we create problems for others. So out of compassion there's this uh, movement towards waking up and so opening the heart is is a (coughs) key part of that movement towards waking up and in doing that as i say in opening the heart we uh, we meet all kinds of challenges and we have to learn to feel what is not pleasant as well as what is pleasant, and meet it with kindness. So what we find within ourselves that we wish was different, we meet it with kindness, with friendliness, just like when we've got a good friend and they're going, oh no, I wish I wasn't like this, I'm so stupid or I'm so whatever. And you go, ah, you're all right, you know, you've got so many good qualities, you did this, you did that, you know. So we do that to, we learn to do that to ourselves too, not just be the, the critic, the judge.
And as we do to ourselves, so we do to others. So learning to, to stretch the heart. So we, we, we open it and then we stretch it and then we stretch it a bit more and then at some point it breaks. And we think, oh gosh, I wish I'd never started. <laughs> and then it kind of reconfigures again bit bigger than it was before and then it stretches a bit more and it stretches a bit more and then it breaks again and, and it's kind of like that it's like that so don't be afraid of the feeling and don't be afraid of the heartbreaking it's all part of the process of awakening it's precious actually if it never breaks it remains brittle guarded protected small safe but not really living not really responsive not really moved by others. So let's read through the Buddha's words and loving kindness and I'll see what comes. So the first line is kind of an interesting one in the, in the West because I did look up this word the Pali word, and it does literally translate as should. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. So this is what should be done. <laughs> should. <laughs> so for many people, this is going to be jarring. And it could be like, oh gosh, I should be, I should be like this. I should be the perfect person. So let's, you know, you can play with that a little bit. This is what may be done, or this is what would be good to be done. Or this is what could be done. So if the should is a problem, change it into something that works. This is what would good. What, this is what would be good to be done <laughs> by one who is skilled in goodness. And and maybe we're not so skilled yet. Maybe we've got some skill, but we're not really skilled yet. We've got got to work at it a bit. Skilled in goodness, and who knows the path of peace. So those, the family of those, pe those people who have come forward in, in, in um, we know whose families members have been killed and are saying, we don't want to respond with hatred, we want to forgive. These are people who know the path of peace. This is understanding the path of peace. It's not comfortable necessarily, but it's, it's powerful, transformative. So let them be able and upright straightforward and gentle in speech, able and upright. So we're not, so able, you know, we're actually, we're doing, we're, we're, we're manifesting the good in the world. We're not just uh, thinking about it or reading about it or reading about other people who are doing it, but we're able, we're doing, we're, we're manifesting. Upright, for me the sense of uprightness comes with lack of remorse. So we all do things that we regret. But if we learn from those things and we make an intention not to keep recreating those same regrets again and again, then we can be upright. Then we can be like, well, I'm not a perfect person, but I'm you know, aiming in the right direction. And I'm, I'm wanting to develop and grow in the right direction. So then you can live in a way that's upright. And also keeping the five precepts, you know, not harming others, not intentionally harming others not taking what doesn't belong to you, um, being uh, responsible in your sexual energy, um, not lying, and 
as a support for those for uh, refraining from getting drunk or stoned. They, getting drunk and stoned doesn't help you keep the other four. <laughs> so, so those five precepts, they support a sense of uprightness. Straightforward and gentle in speech. And I said to you, if you'd like to come in a bit, you're very welcome if you want to just weave in. Yeah. So straightforward and gentle. I love those two coming together. It's not just gentle. It's straightforward and gentle. So you can speak the truth in a way that is gentle, can be received, it can be heard. It's not, it's not blaming or attacking, but it's not evasive either. It's not covering up. Straightforward and gentle in speech. Humble and not conceited, something we all need to work at. Contented and easily satisfied. So American culture does not encourage contentment and being easily satisfied. <laughs> Even though I, I had a Snickers on the way here. <laughs> 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 it's got a big slave line saying, satisfies. It's like <laughs> it did satisfy me for a little while. Not, not ultimately. Yeah. Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. So unburdened with duties. Sometimes, you know, in the monastery we used to chant this and where we lived in England, it's a very, very busy place. A lot of hard work there. Both, both monasteries there, a lot of, lot of work. And, uh, and we chant this, you know, all together. Unburdened with duties. And then you feel like, gosh, I'm very burdened with duties. I've got so much <laughs> to do, you know. But, uh, but the thing is about how, it's not about not having duties, but, but how you hold those duties. Because yeah. we all have to work. I mean, I know, I'm sure you would like to imagine that we don't have to do anything and we just sit and meditate all day and <laughs> you know, say wise things to each other. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we have to work too. So and we have lots of duties. I sense Cheetah has probably more than anybody because <laughs> no. she's quite capable. <laughs> but, um, I'm you know. more burdened than you. <laughs> more. So, so it's about how we meet the duties that we have in our life. Because you know, we all have duties, we all have things to do, we all have responsibilities. And uh, even if we're not working, we, ha we still have duties, we still have relationships, we have duties to our family members or whatever. You know. And if we're working, then we have uh, the duties of our actual work and then the, the responsibilities that we hold and, and the, the duties of, of relationship with the people we work with, all of that. So if we hold that in a heavy way, or if we see that as being in the way of our spiritual practice, something like that, then those duties become yeah. a burden. A burden. <coughs> They're in the way. It's like, my life would be great if I didn't have all these duties. So uh, that's not really going to work. <laughs> so we need to turn our minds around and look at the duties or the work and responsibilities we have as part of our practice. How do I bring the practice of opening the heart to my duties? How do I bring a sense of lightness and generosity to the, to the work and duties that I have? And, then, and, and not to do it in a, in a Pollyanna kind of way, you know, to, to recognize the places where we feel burdened and, and it's, it is heavy. And then just but to turn towards that and see how can I, how can this be transformed, you know? How can I meet this in a way that isn't 
weighing me down. Sometimes it's about changing things, changing, uh, you know, making boundaries or, or recognizing that you're doing more than you can manage. But sometimes it is just a shift of mind. So instead of doing something to get it done, you're doing something as an offering. Or doing something as a practice of presence. Or doing something as a, as an, um, to aid you, to, to help you in, in opening, stretching your heart a bit more, because it's challenging. So rather than the challenge being a, a, a problem, it's an opportunity. And frugal in their ways. So contented, easily satisfied, frugal. These are not things you hear a lot in America. <laughs> but they're very important, you know. They're very important because we live in a culture that is it's all about getting more, having more, having better, um, having more status, being more important, having a bigger house, all of that stuff. And it's endless. It's a it's a it's a con actually. So it's a materialist society trying to keep everybody running on in that same hamster wheel of getting more and more. And the, the promise that, you know, if you just have a bit more, then you'll be happy. If you just have a bit bigger pay packet, you'll be happy. If you just have a, if you're just a bit more well known, a bit more important, you'll be happy. It doesn't actually work <laughs> like that. It's in the little things that we find the the happiness and the peace. It's not in the status or the the money or the things, the stuff. And of course, like the Snickers bar, you know, it gives the stuff gives you happiness for a little while. Otherwise, you wouldn't keep getting it. <laughs> but then it it doesn't last long. So, so it's like recognizing the the in a way, it's a tyranny actually of this of this culture. If you're, if you're caught in it, it's like a tyranny. It never stops. It never lets you rest. There's never a point at which you, you reach that place of, ah, now I'm here, I can really enjoy my life. Because it's always telling you you should be more. And then if you grow old, which, you know, if you live long enough, we're all going to do, <laughs> that's, that's seen as a failure, amazingly, in this culture. It's actually the law of nature, you know, but it's like this, this, there's this setup. You've got to be young, fit, beautiful, successful and wealthy, and then you're doing well. But uh, it's not the reality of most people. So to really look at that, you know, don't, it, it might be that you're really clear about it anyway and you're not playing the game, or it might be that it's like a, a quiet tyranny or a loud tyranny in your mind that's saying, well, I really should be different, I really should be better, I really shouldn't be doing what I'm doing, and I really shouldn't do what I really want to do because I should be the way this culture tells me to be. So really pay attention to that because that's like a tyranny, it's a restless, endless, unfulfillable tyranny. And the Buddha is pointing to the way of peace, the way of, of happiness, the way of freedom. And it's very simple and it's very immediate. So just to, to explore that a bit in your lives. Let them not do the slightest thing. Oh, peaceful and calm, wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. 
So this is for those who are skilled in goodness and who know the path of peace. Peaceful, calm, wise, skillful, not proud and demanding. Sounds so nice. Mm. So even if we can't, you know, meet that all the time, just to have that as a as a, a sense of possibility. You know, when we're caught in the midst of something, peaceful, calm, wise, skillful. And just to hold up those four qualities and see, well, how could I move towards them in this moment? <coughs> just remembering that, them, that they are a possibility can be really helpful, you know. We're caught up in some stress or annoyance. And, oh, peaceful, calm, wise, skillful. Wise and skillful. Mm. I think that it's interesting that they're written that way round because to me that the wise, the wise and skillful, will lead to peace and calm. So if you bring wisdom and skillfulness to the situation, the result will be a sense of peace and calming, because you'll you'll be realigning yourself with the the true way of things. It's not anymore the ego trying to sort everything out that it's wisdom operating and skillfulness and so then there's a natural kind of realignment with uh, what is true. Not proud and demanding in nature. It's almost, again, it, it culturally I think America, it was a quite a shift coming from the UK to America because in the UK, even though of course people are proud, there's a sort of like, oh no, we're not proud. <laughs> we don't say <laughs> It's all sort of kept quiet, you know. Whereas in America, it's kind of like, you've got to be out there. You've got sh- you to sell yourself. You've got to be somebody, you know. And, and it, that's seen as, as good, as, as appropriate. And so uh, it's something, to, it's like a koan a little bit, actually, because, you know, it, it is a cultural norm, and yet. You know, you, you don't want to just be a big ego walking around being loud and proud and confident. You know, th- there's got to be more depth than that. So I think for a lot of practitioners, actually, there's this koan of how do I manifest in the world in a way that can be received in this culture and do this, you know, deeper inner work. And uh, I think the more we understand that the, you know, how we appear in the world is not truly fully who and what we are then the easier it gets so it can be like a it can be quite fun you know you can sort of okay I'll do this now because this is what the the world requires and then I come back to the reality of the deeper inner world life so it's not that you have to you know it's it's like a play in a way because all of this is you know it's all none of us are really what you see you know the the Aya Anandavodi that you're seeing on the stage is just one bit of Aya Anandavodi. There's, you know, when I'm with my brother, it's quite different. You know, with him with Aya Santachita in the office, it's different again. And so we're all like that. We may, we're multifaceted. And so the more we c- we're at peace with that, we don't think of ourselves as a, as a separate, solid somebody, but that we're a, we're a, a process, a, a response, an interbeing in life. And the more comfortable we are with that, then the more we can do what's culturally appropriate and also take care of this more precious inner 
practice. So that's something to explore. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. So that's also helpful to think of the, the noble ones, you know. What would they not not in a not in a critical, self critical way, but just as a as a way of rising up, you know. What would the noble ones think of, of my actions? You know, do I really want to keep going down that path or do I want to change direction? So to use that in a way that's encouraging, not not uh, diminishing. Wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. It's very beautiful. This is is covering all beings, those born and to be born, of all kinds, of all kinds. And we can think of that also, you know, those born like all of us who've been born, and maybe there's, I don't know if there's anyone here who's pregnant, but it could be also, you know, those, those to be born in, in, in their mother's womb. It can also mean those to be born future generations. You know, what are we leaving? What are we, what are we doing? How are we leaving this world for future generations? Are we, do we consider that? Do we have loving kindness and friendliness for, the, for seven generations on from here? Or are we just getting what we can and, you know, okay, this, the ship is sinking, let's just get what we can while it's sinking, you know, or are we actually really thinking about future generations? How can we best pass on this uh, beautiful opportunity of a human life and, and this planet Earth, you know? What are, are we just going to leave it in a total mess for future generations, or are we going to recognize that we've got ourselves into a mess and try to do something about it out of compassion. So I think that's also really important to reflect on, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. So if we're leaving, um, you know, if we're leaving all our rubbish for others to inherit, both, um, that, that works both for you know, the pollution that we put, we're putting out into the world and for the work that we haven't done in our own hearts. We all inherit, probably you know, we inherit you know, also the, the kind of heavy stuff as well as the good stuff from our family lineage. And sometimes we inherit it and then we, you know, we blame our parents. And this, but actually, we've got to, it doesn't work. It doesn't get very far. You've got to do the work here. So maybe you inherit um, you a lot of anger and then it's in you, and then you wish it wasn't. And then, it's, and then you realize, well, my father was angry, and his father was crazy. And, and, um, and so then, instead of blaming or resenting, you come back to, okay, what's here? What do I not want to pass on to others? And start to do the work. I feel like as Dharma practitioners, it's our duty, actually, to do that work, because not everybody knows 
that that needs to be done. But as as practitioners in the Dharma, we we kind of do know. So doing the work that needs to be done so that we're not passing down the, the, the heavy stuff to others internally and externally. Let none deceive another. So I mentioned about the five precepts, the fourth being to refrain from lying. I think it's, it's very common, it's almost expected that people lie. And the Buddha is saying like, just don't do it. Just don't do it. Live in accordance with truth. If you want to wake up, you have to align yourself with truth. And then recognize those times when you want to lie. You know, you want to just like not tell people or you want to cover it up. And, and then look a little bit more closely. It's always the ego trying to protect itself. Not always, but mostly. So to look at like, okay, what's the motivation here? You know, and what would happen if I didn't? Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. It's not always so easy, is it? <laughs> Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. So recognizing when even, even this is talking about even the mind state, you know, even sometimes we just, f- the mind is, is flooded with ill will and we wish harm on somebody else. So know when that's happening and recognize this is, this is harmful to oneself and others. Don't, don't follow that, that uh, flood of the mind. And uh, sometimes just simple things like a, a quote or a mantra, like, may you be well, may you be free from harm, may you be free from suffering, to replace those thoughts with a, with a wholesome thought. Something as simple as that, even if you don't feel it yet, can be powerful. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outward and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. So this isn't just for the cushion, you know. This is like to take into your life to take into the workplace and to take into the family home and to take into your private space and to take into the street. And then it says free from drowsiness. Actually, when you generate metta, it does wake you up. If you're sleepy, you start to generate loving kindness, it gives you energy. It opens you up, it connects you with with a kind of energy field, actually. So... So this is where the free from drowsiness comes in. Sustaining this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. So uh, this is also, as we get to the end of this teaching, this, uh, the Buddha's words on loving kindness, he's also pointing to the practice, the meditation practice of metta, which we'll come into next. Where... Um, whether you know, it can be that we're just kind of struggling away with things and trying to generate a bit of loving kindness in a heart that's kind of closed or angry or confused. But as we keep practicing 
the heart does settle and open. And it is a very blissful state. It's a beautiful, peaceful, open, in interconnected state where there's no fear, there's no anger, there's a, a, a sense of abiding with in a friendly, connected way with, with all beings. And uh, so he's pointing to the, 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 the sub, how sublime it is to be in that state where we're not like me here and you out there and I've got to defend myself or get something. It's just the state of being. By not holding to fixed views, <laughs> which many of us do, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. So people often wonder about this. It's like, well, I want to be born into this beautiful world. I want to be born into this world. So uh, this is pointing to, again, it's, it's pointing to the, if one practices metta meditation on a, on a subtle level, if you, uh, you like using, if if the mind is going into that state a lot, then the the experience of wanting and not wanting it just sort of becomes irrelevant. So in a way, this this sense world that we live in, it's all about wanting and not wanting, having and pushing away, and and uh, those who have developed to a high degree this this meta practice and maybe seen through the, the bonds of wanting and not wanting, they, they don't need to come back. There's nothing here for them. They don't see, there's, not a, there's no promise in the world. And so there's the, the possibility of letting go of all of it and uh, either you know, completely becoming completely liberated or to the third level of uh, awakening of uh, Non, what's known as non-returner, where it's said that the mind abides in a, a state of great peace and bliss for a long period of time, and then at the end of that becomes fully liberated. So that's what those last um, lines of the teaching are pointing to. So it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a, it gradually leads you through just the, the ordinary human experience into the, the higher more subtle, uh, letting go, let's say. Okay. So th Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.